All right. Uh, several called and said, Pastor, should I try to make it to service or not? And my answer has always been from day one, uh, the doors will be open. I don't have very far to come to church. Uh, but uh, don't put your life on the line to make the service. Don't put yourself in danger. And so um, we'll... Uh, now, of course, there are some places where two or three drops of rain are enough danger to keep people home. I think one preacher aptly put it, aptly put it, it takes a whole tank to make a Baptist and only a few drops to keep them at home. And uh, we don't want to do that. But uh, I, I appreciate everyone that is here tonight, and uh, we shall uh, plunge on into our study of the book of Ecclesiastes. And um, I hope uh, that uh, we can work together through this study, because I, I want it to be uh, a positive study of a very negative book. Uh, there's an awful lot of negativity in the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, last week, as we went through chapter 1, the, the uh, summary of that is, I, me, my, and mine. I mean, everything is about himself. And uh, I will tell you, if you allow yourself to get into that perspective of life, get ready for uh, the need of antidepressants. Uh, get ready for... Uh, depending upon other people to encourage you and make you feel happy because you won't be able to do it for yourself. Uh, and so, uh, as we go through the book, there's, I'm not going to cover it in our traditional fashion where we just do every word and every phrase uh, because a lot of the book of Ecclesiastes uh, we already are very familiar with. Uh, all of the despair and all of the emptiness. I mean, uh, what greater example of vanity is there than New York City? Uh, how much emptiness is here? Uh, what was it? I think it was Brother Mike was telling me about this um, building in, uh, there in Greenpoint, one of the new buildings. And uh, the guy negotiated with the real estate, and they kept going back and forth. And finally, he got the space he wanted, the river view of all Manhattan there in Greenpoint, for only $59 million. But he was sorely disappointed, because that only got him the third floor from the top of the building. He, he wanted the penthouse. He wanted that top floor. And I have a word for that. It's just called plain, old-fashioned, stupid. Amen? Uh, $59 million for a place in a building. Talk about a bunch of nothing. I mean, that's what this city... And it's all about prestige. And he's disappointed uh, and sad. He'll get over it, I guess, that he didn't get the top floor. Uh, look, this is, this is what... The world is about. Let's start in, in verse 1 of chapter 2. Again, the theme of the book of Ecclesiastes is the word I. And Solomon starts out, I said in my heart, go to now. I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. And behold, this also is vanity. 
I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doeth it? I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom and to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men, that they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. Now, we're going to just use these verses as the introduction to our study tonight, and uh, I hope you can see that Solomon is talking about himself and his glory and his greatness and his ability. He, he even, he who said, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, Whosoever, whoso is deceived thereby is not wise, said here, I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine. Yet acquainting my heart with wisdom. You know, drunks are some of the wisest people around. I mean, they have all the answers for all the world's problems, except their own. You ever met anybody like that? I mean, it's interesting sometimes to talk to the homeless people. If they'll have a real conversation, you'll find out that many of our homeless people uh, really could put Aristotle and Socrates and Plato and all these guys just right out of business. Uh, They're not ignorant people. But you know what? In finding all of their wisdom, what did they really find? They're echoing Solomon's statements, are they not? And as we go through, we're going to try something that happens very rarely here. We're going to try to get through two whole chapters tonight. And uh, what I want us to do is pick up the tidbits here so that we can keep the positive part in mind and not get lost in the sea of despair uh, that was Solomon and his life. So let's go to chapter 2 and verse 24. He's, uh, he started on a negative note, and it's going to get worse before we get to chapter 24. I mean, verse 24, chapter 2. But here he says, There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink, excuse me, and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw, that it was from the hand of God. Now, we'll get to the next couple verses in a minute. He goes right back to despair. But even in Solomon's despair, as he is giving us this line upon line of terrible things, and vanity is vanity, and we'll go through the list here in chapter 2 of uh, of building projects and agricultural achievements and uh, possession of men's souls and maidservants and menservants and in the great possessions of the peculiar treasures of kings and in the possession of simple greatness in the exploration of every desire in the heart of man. Solomon had the wherewithal to do it. He could do anything he wanted. And he did. He even grew to the point that he understood 
the difference between wisdom and foolishness. Now, that may not sound a lot like a lot to you. But let me just give you an illustration. It's often been said that one man's foolishness is another man's wisdom. Uh, I like what Brother Marshall has said over the years. He said, they tell me there's a fine line between faith and foolishness. He said, I just never have found the line. And uh, uh, I remember what people, what different people said when we started on the process of purchasing this building. And uh, I didn't tell the members of the church what other preachers were saying to me. And I remember going to church and our members were going, Oh, Lord, uh, Pastor, we just believe the Lord is going to make this thing happen. I'm going, that's good for you. I wish you could hear everything. No, I don't wish you could hear everything I'm hearing. Uh, Because foolish wasn't the only thing they said. And yet, we're here today in the building. It's paid for. Maybe it wasn't foolish. But it certainly was in the mind and heart of many people. And Solomon said, I grew to the point to where I was understanding the difference. You know, I don't claim to understand the difference. I claimed to say, I said, we prayed. We went forward. We said, Lord, there's no other way to go. This must be the way. Even though everybody says it's not going to work. We'll trust you to make it work. And you know what? God did. Solomon said, man, I understand the difference. But look what he says here in verse 24. There is nothing better for a man. Now, when the wisest man says, there's nothing better, you had better mark it down. Okay, the first thing he says is one of my absolute favorite activities. He says, eat. Now, my wife made one of my favoritest meals on the face of the whole earth tonight. And so, if I have to stop a few times during the preaching, you'll know that I ate too much. I'm just living the sermon here. It says there's nothing better than to eat. Amen? And to enjoy it. And to drink. Now, of course, we're not talking about gluttony and drunkenness. There are so many references in the Bible that if you're going to try to bring those things into this passage and into this statement, I mean, there are a few things worse than gluttony and drunkenness. What good is there eating to the point that you get sick? Uh, That doesn't make sense to me. Uh, It's eating and drinking. Now, look at this last one here. It says, And that he should make... His soul enjoy good in his labor. Now, do you get that? It doesn't say that he should make his labor good. It says that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. Do you see the difference there? It's huge. I guess if I were going to try to illustrate that, I remember... When I was a student in Bible college, we were, um, I had one semester, I mean, it was just unbelievable. Hundred, uh, it was over 100 pages of type paper I turned in in one semester, and about 10,000 pages of reading on top of that. 
And I was working 40 hours a week in the nursing home as an orderly, changing diapers all night. And then I had a part-time job uh, uh, vacuuming a bank building that I would, I would work till 11 o'clock at night and then go over and clean the bank building for a couple of hours every night after that. Uh, so I could pay my bills. I was trying to finish school and get out, and, and I didn't want to leave anything uh, behind. And so it was a very, very trying time. And you know what I found out? That instead of looking at my labor as a horrible thing that had to be endured, You know what, I found out that in all that reading, there was actually some pretty good stuff in that reading I had to do. And I learned to enjoy that. It says, make your soul enjoy good in the labor. And I'll tell you, nothing, uh, very few things in my life uh, match up to the feeling that was in my soul. As I packed my bags and left that city for the last time as a student. Oh, one of my uh, uh, advisors came, my faculty advisor came up and he said, we just opened the seminary, you need to stay. And I said, Dr. Terry, I just can't do it. I'm I'm leaving this town. And uh, let me tell you, you can find good in the labor whether it's cleaning the building, shoveling snow, changing diapers in a nursing home. I'll tell you what. You can find good. You can make your soul enjoy good in the labor that God gives you. Somebody said, it's not the man in the prison that's the problem it's the prison in the man that's the problem it's when we bind ourselves up on the inside and refuse it this is a command this is something he said it's good i'll tell you it's a whole lot better to live on simple fare than it is to eat the dainty food of the rich with all this debt pounding in on your head and all these other things that go with it. This is what Solomon is talking about here. He said there's nothing better in life than to be able to eat, be able to, uh, if you're going to eat, you have to pay for it, right? To be able to buy your food, to be able to enjoy taking in nourishment and that you should make your soul to enjoy good in the labor. You know, there's some labor that you can't find good in. If you're working as a bartender, guess what? There's no good in your labor. If you're trying to earn your income by dishonest means, there's no good in that labor. You can't find it. Though some people try to. The, the Bible says there's nothing better This is Solomon speaking. He says this is from the hand of God.
to be able to enjoy your nourishment and be able to find good in what you're doing with your life. You know, it kind of sounds like purpose, doesn't it? It's what everybody's seeking for. And you know, if you will order your life according to the Word of God, you don't have to understand an awful lot of things. You just be obedient to God and He'll make things. He'll give you that privilege of being able to find joy, find goodness in the labor that you do. Now let's skip down to three, chapter 3 and verse 11. This is another uh, one of these beautiful little tidbits in these two chapters. Uh, a couple of verses here. And uh, one of the most misquoted verses, certainly in the book of Ecclesiastes, is he has made everything beautiful in his time. Uh, that's what the Bible says. How many of you heard that phrase before, but didn't know it was in the Bible? I mean, it's used a lot by people in the world that have nothing to do with the Bible. He has made everything beautiful in his time. A lot of times they'll just end it. They, he hath made everything beautiful. You know what? There's a lot of things that just aren't beautiful. But the Lord makes things beautiful in his time. And we're going to go through a whole list of, of those things. And he goes through that list in, in uh, um, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. And of course, I don't know who it was, but one of them rebellious, dope-infested 60s rock groups wrote a song connected. Turn, turn, turn. And, and I remember I had some, uh, I don't know how else to put it, dumb teacher who thought that was a Christian song and made us learn it. Uh, praise, good, praise God, the pastor found out about it before we sang it in public and got rid of it. But, uh, you know, just because they're quoting the Bible doesn't mean they're doing it right. Amen? Now, it says, talking about the activity of men, that he's made everything beautiful in his time. You know, uh, I'm just thinking this week. Uh, he's made even death beautiful in his time. Who would deny a godly man, 86 years old, who suffered for so long, entrance into the presence of the king whom he served? Amen? Do you understand what I'm saying? You see, God, when we order our lives, tell you what, it's a beautiful thing to watch that little baby born. It's a beautiful thing to watch that couple grow and get to the point to where they choose to be married to one another and start living for God. Those are beautiful things. And we don't have time to go through this whole list, word for word, everything that's in here. But all of the activities of man are listed there. How many of you have found 
beautifulness in just being alone and being quiet. You know what? There's beauty in everything in His time. You know, I've often joked puppy love is what makes puppies act like dogs. That's why it's not beautiful. It's not His time. We don't need little children. And by little children, I'm talking about 16, 18, 19, some 25-year-olds included in that. They just haven't grown up yet. Running around acting like they're ready for marriage when they're not. That's not beautiful. Uh, I know sometimes people will take little kindergartners and they'll pretend to have a wedding. I, I don't like that. That's, that's not beautiful. But I'll tell you what, there's nothing more beautiful than a pure young lady walking down the aisle in the church and the first time holding a hand of her man is when her father puts it in his hand at the altar. And I'll tell you what, that's beautiful. That's the way it ought to be. And uh, I'm going to have to do that without slobbering all over the front of the church later this year. I'm not quite sure how that's going to happen, but we're going to make it happen. It's beautiful in His time. Amen? But as with everything, look at the rest of that verse. Also, He hath set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from beginning to the end. Now, here's Solomon's vanity, his emptiness, his despair, bleaching into this very wonderful text. Verse 12, he goes on, I know there is no good in them, but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. You know, he's trying, even in this beautiful thought and this beautiful promise that God has put in His Word, as he is raking through all the coals and the dead embers of his life, he gets a few hot ones. There's nothing better than to eat and drink and find and make your soul find good. What's it? I'm not quoting that right. Um... And that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. It is good for a man to rejoice and do good in his life. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is a gift of God. Now let's skip down to the end of the chapter here. Verse 22, Wherefore I perceive that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his portion. Who shall, for who shall bring him to see what shall be after him? Now, if you're familiar with the book of Galatians, it says we're to come alongside those that have fallen and help them in the way. 
But it says that every man has to rejoice in his own works. You know what? There's no such thing as proxy Christianity. You can't hire someone to do good works for you. It's got to be in your life. It's got to be something you are involved in. And it says that a man should rejoice in his own works. What that means is that you are convinced in your own heart and before God that the works in your life, what you are investing your life effort in, is something God would consider good. Now, is that that complicated? doesn't need to be, amen? You see, these things are all wrapped up in what you do. Solomon was all wrapped up in understanding what he did. And that's why he had so much sorrow in the latter part of his life. I mean, we gave the example last week of of the relationship between a man and a woman. You really don't want to sit down and intellectually and logically assent to that thing. You want to enjoy it. Amen? Uh, God meant love to be enjoyed. And when you don't enjoy it, you sit down and think about it, you ruin it. And it becomes something perverse. It becomes something that God never intended it to be. You know what? It happens in life. It happens in ministry. It even can happen in your service for God. You can get so wrapped up in your own importance, in your own understanding of what you are doing, that you start thinking you're doing it and God isn't. That's why Solomon wrote this book. is because that's what happened in his life. And if you want to enjoy life, even though he is, as we said, raking through the embers of life and going through all of the failures in his life and why he's an old, tottering fool now. And he calls himself a foolish king in this book. Even as he is doing that, he uncovers the simplicity And the joy that's in serving Jesus. Amen? And we we need to get a hold of those things. Otherwise, we're going to have to start passing out Prozac and other things just to get everybody out of church tonight. And, And that's never God's intent. But you know, sometimes, sometimes God's got to shake you up pretty good to get you to pay attention. And that's what the book of Ecclesiastes is. Uh, I was just listening to uh, the, trying to get the weather and they talked about this new app that you can buy for your phone. It starts saying, okay, fatso, time to lose weight. And uh, I heard one of the other ones that says, uh, they were playing these things and it was like, Step up on the scale and prepare to be judged. And, and it's a woman's voice, just totally full of sarcasm. And the guy that wrote the app said, 
It's a combination of my wife, my mother, and my sister, who all are very sarcastic. And apparently he needed to lose weight. And, and so he put this act together so that you can uh, beat yourself up in, and have yourself shamed and condemned so that you won't go to the refrigerator and do bad things. Uh, by the way, it doesn't happen at the refrigerator. It usually happens at the table. Amen? Uh, but the simple truth of the matter is, God is using the book of Ecclesiastes, if we'll take it as such, to be that sharp rebuke. Because it is tempting to every young mind, every young Christian. It is tempting to those that, that really would consider themselves uh, intellectually acute to be able to sit down and to contemplate these great thoughts of history. Who could do a better job than that, Solomon? I mean, that's what he's going to say now. We got about 15 minutes, and I want to be careful with the time, but let's go back to chapter 2. Comedy Central, nothing new. Solomon said, I'm going to give my heart to mirth. I'm going to enjoy all of these things. The problem is, when you choose to enjoy something, I remember one time when I was a kid, I, I, I'm just a chocolate fiend. And uh, Easter was a great time. My parents gave me one of them chocolate bunnies. And I snuck that thing into my bed. And it didn't take very long for that bunny to disappear. And it didn't take much longer for it to come back. Well, I'll tell you what, feels good on the way down. Oh, just chocolate until you couldn't stand it anymore. But then once you couldn't stand it anymore, it didn't stay down there very long. I mean, I just made a mess of everything. And yet that happens to every person that chooses to please themselves. It doesn't matter what your pleasure is. And he's going to go through the list of them here. It, it's going to, you can only have so much. And I guess there are people that actually have pleasure in eating and going and getting rid of it and then eating more. Uh, uh, you know, sign up for counseling. We'll try to help you. Uh, there's, there's problems there because it's not pleasure. What's the difference between a person that does that and a person that puts the tourniquet around their arm? So that they can get the next fix, the next high, the next thrill. But you know what? Even then, it doesn't last forever, does it? You have to get doing so much that you end up like that Hollywood guy that just killed himself a couple weeks ago. He was looking for the next thrill. Well, he got the ultimate thrill. A one-way ticket into eternity. The only problem is there's no coming back. The Solomon said here, I said of laughter, it is mad. And of mirth, what does it do? Once, I mean, you can only laugh so much. He said, I gave myself to wine 
And yet I kept my wisdom so that I could see what was good. You know, this is where everybody ends up who chooses the life of vanity, is they become God. I'm going to tell you what is good for all you lesser human beings. That's what Solomon said. That's what Mayor Bloomberg said when he's going to outlaw soda pop and sugary drinks. And, you know, our, our wonderful government now has said that, you know, none of us are smart enough to know anything about health care. How do you like the example that the government has set before us? I mean, they've showed us about every stupid thing you can do with health care, uh, except provide health care. And, uh, and they're working hard. And you say, you just, no, what I'm critical of is not the mess that they've made, though I'm against that. It's the philosophy behind it. It's right here in the book of Ecclesiastes. That I know what's good for all you to do. There are pastors that get this way. That they sit as the grand poobah over their little earth that they have created inside the four doors of their church. And, the, I mean, they rule. I mean, I knew a, a story of a church where uh, uh, people, in the members, were forbidden to make a major appliance purchase without first consulting their pastor. Good night. I don't have time to get done the things that ought to be done. I can't go refrigerator shopping for you. I'm sorry. Uh, please, take care of that on your own. Uh, I, when people call up and said, hey, we got a major decision, I'm honored. But if you're going to buy a new stove, uh, probably talk to the salesman. They, they know a whole lot more about stoves than I do. Uh, I can fix the old one, but it, it's just kind of, Crazy, all the things that people want to do. This is what destroyed Solomon. Now, here's the list. Look what it says here. I made me great works and builded me houses. Okay? He, he was an architect. I planted me vineyards and made gardens and trees and orchards and all kinds of fruits. And, and verse 6, I made me pools of water to water wherewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. Isn't that an amazing way to put it? But he didn't find it there. I got me servants and maidens. Uh, maidens. I had servants born in my house. Also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings and the providences. I got me men singers and women singers and delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. I mean, he tried it all. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. 
and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. Then he goes on to talk about how that he understood the difference between wisdom and foolishness. But look at verse 15. Then said I in my heart, as it happeneth to the fool, so it happeneth even to me. You know what he said? I've got everything God does except immortality. The great pyramids were the Egyptian king's attempts at immortality. The ruins of the great temples up and down this North American and South American continent. The riches that people have amassed. It was amazing. I just, as I was thinking about this passage, you know, I thought, you know, it must be really interesting to spend your whole life snapping and pulling and getting the next deal off before somebody gets you off, uh, like Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or one of these guys. And then when you get old and retire, what do you do? You now spend your life trying to give away all the money that you stole, cheated, and did all those other things to get. You know what? You give a testimony of the fact that your life was not spent in the good labor that God gave you. You know what? I don't want my life like that. God wants you and I to enjoy the good of the labor that we have. I know there doesn't seem to be much good in it, but enjoy the good of finding a place to meet, Brother Mike. Uh, God's got something in there. It, it's a purpose. It, everything that we do, if we do it for the Lord, there's good in that labor. And we need to seek that rather than trying understand the big picture. You know, I, I'm not quite sure how that spending my whole life starting one church and helping other people start churches is going to change a whole city and change history. I don't think it's going to happen. But I do know this. That's what God's called me to do. And I'm going to find good in it. And I'm going to enjoy the good of that labor. And I'm going to stop chasing after some huge, immense, history-changing event. I, I know people that have gone the whole way through their life in ministry. Will this be the meeting that sparks the revival, that changes the world? Hey, don't go there. And I'm not criticizing people who are there. I'm just saying... Your life is going to be a whole lot more enjoyable if you stop trying to change the world and start trying to do what the Lord wants you to do today. And I've talked to an awful lot of preachers over the years. I've never met one that said, you know what, I didn't spend enough time in the office figuring things out. But I met an awful lot that said, you know, I didn't spend enough time playing with my kids when they were little. 
I, I didn't appreciate the things that I had when I had them, and now I, I, I'm an old man and I don't have them. And I've, I've watched preachers get old and destroy the church that they gave their life for because they were afraid they were going to die and have to give it to somebody else. Read the rest of chapter 2. That's what it's all about. Solomon looked at all the great things and he realized that his son might not be as wise as he was. Why was that? Because he was too busy indulging the passions of his flesh and trying to figure all things out instead of being the father that he ought to have been to Rehoboam. I'll tell you what. I don't know of anything that could be more discouraging. And I'm not trying to drum things up that are hurtful. Then when your kid grows up and takes a different direction and you can't stop it. I don't know anything more hurtful than that. Find the good in the labor when they're little. Enjoy life. I like what my dad used to say. He said, you know... He said, you don't have to have great things to enjoy a good meal. I mean, how many of you have ever just enjoyed a pot of beans? I mean, there's just some blessings there with beans and cornbread that you just can't get anywhere else. In fact, we're going to have to get out the pressure cooker and make a pot sometime soon, but... This is what he's saying. He's saying there's nothing better than to enjoy today. Because that's all you got. To be that little gear that doesn't understand that your job is to be the... How many people know what an idler gear is? We don't have time to explain that all tonight. But anyway... An idler gear is a little gear that keeps the big gear in time. Very important in an engine. And I, uh, there are many, many motors in the scrapyard today because the bearing in the idler gear went before anything else in the motor did. Uh, listen, this is what Solomon is trying to say. He's listing all a man's activities in 3, 1 through 10. But everything is beautiful in his God's season. But if you're sitting there trying to figure out the big picture and trying to understand that, you know, I'm going to have to die. Everything, every good thing I've done, I'm going to have to give to somebody else. Well, good night. Who do you think you are, God? Uh, I thought we were supposed to live this life so that we could be a blessing to those who follow behind us. I think that's what Hebrews 11, 12, and 13 is all talking about. Somebody said, you're going to raise your kids and some guy's going to come along and steal your daughters away. No, hasn't happened yet. He said, but you get married in August. Yeah, and it's not going to happen in August either. 
Because you can't steal something when you give it. Amen? When you give something to God's work, you're not losing it. You only gain. Do I wish my grandbaby was here? Oh, sure. But I'd rather have my son serving God where he is than enjoy my grandbaby all the time knowing my son's not where God wants him to be. Hey, let me tell you something. Everything is beautiful in its time. Separation is good sometimes. Being together is good sometimes. But if it's not God's time, it's not going to be a good time. That's what Solomon's saying in these two chapters. And he comes to the great conclusion that he's not God. And you know what it does? It brings him despair. You know, I figured that one out a long time ago. And you know what it gave me? Joy. Because he's in charge. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this book. And Lord, we just ask that you would help us to read through these chapters and, and see the words and the sadness here. But Lord, yet to see the simple little things that Solomon missed in all of his great wisdom. And Lord, that you would help us to pattern our lives to enjoy these simple little things. In Jesus' name we pray.